With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and I am joined, he covers the Vikings for Sports Illustrated, by Will Raggetts. What's up, Will? Not a whole lot. Just uh, still processing all of the... uh... Vikings 53-man roster stuff and some of the practice squad stuff today and uh, looking ahead to what should be a fun week ahead of the the first game and probably some more roster moves to come, I would imagine. I think so. Normally, we're pretty good at predicting where everything is going to go with this team, and then we know oftentimes there's that one surprise that comes out of a little bit of nowhere, like when they cut Alex Boone in 2017 or when they cut Brian Robinson in 2018, but... This year, there was no real surprise cut. The only surprise is that they have no backup safeties, but also the rules are so much different, where literally everyone can be on the practice squad. You had to be way down the depth chart to not be on the practice squad, which we'll get to because there's a few guys that are actually somewhat interesting in that realm. But also, you could take two guys from the practice squad and bump them up to the active roster for game day, which I think allows the Vikings to have those backup safeties, Nate Metters and Josh Metellus, remain on the practice squad and then bump one or both of them up on a game day if they want to or somebody else that they need. So I'm not even sure now that they're going to go after a veteran safety. And if they're going to do it, it might actually be after week one because of the rules with veteran guarantees. So if they want to bring in a veteran, then they might wait till week two when uh, they don't have to pay if they uh, the guarantees if they cut them. So there's just all these rules at once, like 
we play some football? Uh, but you can tell me what, what uh, the biggest things that stuck out to you over the weekend were in terms of Vikings moves. Yeah, well, I agree with you on, on the safeties. That was uh, obviously one of the things that jumped out was just having the two. And I think most people were assuming, okay, this means they're kind of going to look through the waivers, uh, look through some veteran cuts, and, and go find a guy who can come in and they would trust to play if if Smith or Harris have to miss a few snaps or, or a whole game or, or whatever the case may be. But like you said, with them bringing Metallus back and Metters back to the practice squad, and they continue to list Metters as a cornerback for some reason, even though he – work at nothing but safety during camp from at least at least from what I saw so yeah if you have those two guys maybe those are your, are your two candidates to make uh, the extra two guys on the 55 man and uh, and dress at least one of them and uh, you wouldn't need to go after safety and you like you said also the the veteran thing after week one was something I actually just found out about today trying to learn all these rules so uh, that could be something they do but beyond that I thought the uh, the seven receivers was really interesting to me as well uh, with with Dan Chisina making the roster and Tajay Sharp and Chad Beebe and all these guys. And I know that, that Chisna and, and Osborne were more for the, the special team stuff than for what they can do as a receiver. So you kind of have five receivers and two special teams guys who could potentially help you out at receiver later on. Um, but that was still interesting to me considering last year we, it was four receivers and this year almost doubling that. So is that an indication of – uh, the Vikings maybe throwing the ball a little bit more, maybe spreading the ball out a little bit more under Gary Kubiak, like we kind of saw during that scrimmage at U.S. Bank Stadium? Or is it just kind of the way it worked out this year where some of the special teams guys who in other years might have come from other positions this year are receivers? Right, yeah. Kentrell Brothers was the guy that was on the team as a special teamer only for quite yeah. some time, and then you know, he's not here anymore, so maybe Dan Chisna is that guy, even though one was a linebacker and the other is technically a wide receiver, though it seemed like they fiddled with him at safety for a day or a couple hours and then decided that that really wasn't going to work, and then he went back to wide receiver. It's a bit of an odd situation, and maybe they thought that because Chisna has this really interesting athletic profile that he's basically a freak athlete for the NFL, that maybe some other team would pick him up if he wasn't on the 53. And I think that that's a little bit what throws us off the scent in terms of getting some of these right, is just factoring in who they thought wouldn't get picked up on waivers versus who deserved to make the team or who will have a role. And so we'll, I'll be very interested to see if Chisna is playing or if he eventually gets cut and moved to the practice squad because all the dust has settled and that was really their plan all along. But I want to ask you about the, the wide receivers because uh, everyone's nightmare is over. Alexander Hollins is on the practice squad. It's okay, everyone. Take a deep <laughs> breath. Hollins is still around. I've never seen someone become so popular on Twitter who has – like two catches and a handful of games that they've actually even appeared in. But Alexander Hollins became extremely popular on Saturday when he got cut and people were upset that Chad Beebe was staying. What are your expectations for Tajay Sharp and Chad Beebe now knowing that those two guys are ahead of Alexander Hollins on the depth chart, but also this is a team that's going to play two tight ends a lot? Yeah, well, I think with Alexander Hollins, first of all, I think we are partially to blame for his popularity on Twitter. 100%. I know myself, I having been at all of the training camp practices, I wrote about him a lot because, I don't know, I, I was looking for things to write about. And when Adam Thielen does cool stuff, it's not really that much of a story because we know what Adam Thielen can do. But Alexander Hollins, to me, I mean, I think most people I've talked to agree with this, that every, every practice we saw, uh, he was standing out and he was – 
not only just this fast, skinny guy that we know he is, but he was going up, and Mike Zimmer said he's gotten a little better in contested catches. Looks like he might have put on a little bit more weight. I mean, he's still still a lanky, uh, kind of thin guy, but he looked to become to be more of a well-rounded receiver for, than what we saw last year. So uh, I think we kind of helped build that hype train up a little bit. And But don't worry, yeah, he's still on the practice squad. He's still going to uh, get his chances eventually, I would imagine. But it's interesting that uh, Tajay Sharp, to me, was a guy who uh, – when you're looking at the receivers on this roster, there wasn't one thing that he could really do that none of the other guys could do. And I think that's where where Chad Beebe gets his roster spot because he's uh, a slot guy who can separate really well, and you know what you're going to get from him. You can get open. Tashi Sharp does a little bit of everything. He is an outside guy. He's got good size. Uh, he's got some, some good route running ability. But I wasn't sure he was actually a lock for the roster. I, I think – if you're looking for a fourth guy who's going to be on the field, if they're in a hypothetical four receiver set, I know the Vikings don't do much of that, but I think that would probably be BB over Sharp at the moment, just given what we've heard from Gary Kubiak, what he can do there. Maybe you have Jefferson and BB as the two inside guys with Thielen and, and BC Johnson on the outside. Maybe they think in terms of Tajay Sharp that if BC Johnson or Adam Thielen gets hurt, He's the guy with the most experience who could step in, and he comes from an offense that was very, very similar in Tennessee, and so he can run the same routes as they do, not maybe at quite as high of a level, but could he be just as good as B.C. Johnson if B.C. Johnson gets hurt for six weeks? Probably, but... Can Justin Jefferson handle that role at this moment? Maybe not. Can Chad Beebe handle that role at this moment or maybe ever considering his size? Probably not. So you look at him as sort of an in case of emergency over Alexander Hollins, who's still a young player. And that's the one thing we never know is just how much they know about the offense. Because a, a lot of this offense is reading safeties, reading linebackers, things like that, like knowing how to process a defense, which Tajay Sharp, being in the league for as long as he's been, would be able to do that in this offense. You're not really certain about the others. Is Justin Jefferson caught up as an outside wide receiver yet? I do not get the impression that he is. So do we view Justin Jefferson as locked in as the slot receiver in three receiver sets, or are we going to see BB there and watch Vikings Twitter explode? Yeah, I think that's a possibility, uh, and I think that would absolutely be the result. A lot of people would not like that just because of the the draft pedigree of Jefferson and the whole hype train and everything we've heard about. And we know what he can do, the highlight plays he can produce. But like you said, there's a lot more that goes goes into being an NFL wide receiver than just being able to make the highlight plays and put up tons of yards uh, in the SEC. I mean, Chad Beebe has been in the system. This is his third year. Uh, he, he he knows what he's supposed to do, and, and he can get open over the middle of the field. We saw him get some some reps with the ones uh, in the slot, and then sometimes Jefferson would come in quickly after that. I think in the long run, it's it's going to be Jefferson just because he's he's too good to to keep off of the field, and he brings kind of an extra dimension that BB doesn't in, in so many ways in, in size and contested catchability and that that burst after the catch. But early on, could I see Chad Beebe being that guy in the, in the three receiver sets and getting getting some of those looks early on? I, I think I could because, it, like like I said, you know what you're going to get from Beebe, and the coaching staff has that trust in him. And if Jefferson hasn't fully earned that trust yet, which it seems like he's on the way to doing but might not be all the way there yet, 
then yeah, I think you could see BB uh, factor into that rotation. It was fun to watch Twitter be apoplectic over BB for whatever reason. I'm not sure. I mean, when he's been in games, he's performed and he's gotten open and he's made some plays. He's only got a handful of catches, but when they've given him the opportunity, it's not like he's fallen flat on his face. He's done what he's supposed to do. They just need to be able to keep him healthy. And last year, it's a freak injury that takes him out on a very strange play where he was trying to block and gets run over. It's it's not like the guy has gone out there and been a complete mess and dropped the ball over the place. It's not like he's looked like Laquan Treadwell. And I envision if he is a healthy wide receiver that he could be someone like Jarius Wright. And I think that that's what they see him. And I know that uh, you didn't cover Jarius Wright, but they called him Mr. Third Down in the locker room because he had something like 17 catches and 14 first downs, and a lot of them came on third down. I think that that's Chad Beebe's role. And if you bring in a guy who gets 20 catches in a year and half of them are more on third down and seven, well, that's, that's good for you. That means he was worth keeping on the roster. And then if K.J. Osborne, because we have no idea, if K.J. Osborne is a terrible punt returner and the first three of them bounce off of his shoulder pads, then at least Chad Beebe could step in and do that too. So I, I think that this one is not worth losing your bleep over. Now let me ask you about the, um, the practice squad because more than ever, normally I would not have even discussed the practice squad. Like, who cares? We'll find out if yeah. those guys are good in a year or two. But this year it's interesting uh, they left off Courtney Davis and Neville Clark, the two guys that they paid the most for as UDFAs. Tell me if you saw anything different in camp. I saw nothing from either one of those guys that would suggest that they belonged here. And if there's anything else that you look at the practice squad and you thought stuck out to you. Yeah, so I actually, I, I didn't see really anything from Courtney Davis. Um, he was a guy who I think some people, some analysts had like a late round grade on him. So I think some people got excited. They saw him do some things at Texas A&M, but he didn't really stand out to me as a guy who brings anything that the Vikings don't already have in five or six other guys. Um, so I wasn't shocked. I mean, it was a little surprising that he's not on the practice squad given the amount of guaranteed money they gave him and things like that. I actually did see some things from Neville Clark um, throughout camp that were intriguing to me. I actually had him making the 53-man roster over oh, Harrison Hand. Oh, wow, okay. Hand. You were very hard, high on that, yeah. Mark. Yeah, I had him making it over Harrison Hand, um, but I wasn't remotely shocked that the fifth-round pick made it over the undrafted free agent. I, they were pretty close, I think. Um, so I am surprised to not see him on the practice squad. Uh, and I think there's still two spots left, but I, I think I saw something that said that Clark is not going to be on it. So that that's interesting to me. Um, I don't know. It, it's... They didn't keep a ton of the veteran guys, uh, as far as I can tell, that, that you can keep up to six guys with any level of experience. I think Brett Jones is uh, the main one that jumps out there. Aviant uh, Collins, I don't know if he's qualified for that status yet or if he would have been eligible for the practice squad regardless. Uh, but the keeping two QBs uh, makes sense to me because in this year, I mean, you never know if, if Kirk Cousins or Sean Mannion is going to test positive, and hopefully that doesn't happen, but... Uh, it makes sense to keep both those guys around, try to develop them, have them available. They kept a few linemen. Obviously, you've got the backup fullback, things like that. You, you, don't, you just want guys that in the positions where there's only uh, one player, like a fullback or things like a quarterback, you, you want to have those backups available because this is a weird year, and you don't know if you're going to get a little breakout and be down six players all of a sudden. So you got that depth on the practice squad is going to be important this year for sure. want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. They just launched their official collaboration with Bud Grant. Yes, 
Bud Grant. You can now get your official Bud Grant shirt and Man Cave art print. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to check it out, and we're going to hook you up with free shipping for your order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code Purple Insider for free shipping. Yeah, I think so. And and hopefully it doesn't play into it. Hopefully we're talking about, hey, remember COVID in the NFL? They did such a great job. That's what it's been in camp. They've done such a great job that there have been no problems. And I do think that if the NFL was running America, we would have done a lot better because they took it very, very seriously yeah. from the start. And now they're putting in extreme measures even for travel. So they know how much is at stake if they screw this up and end up with a bunch of positive tests. But if you're a team, you have to prepare for the reality that there could be positive tests and have these uh, players in position to step in. And maybe that's what it was about when it came to Neville Clark or, or Courtney Davis was just Nate Metters is more able to step in if you need him to in terms of a defensive back. Uh, a guy like Mark are, Fields, yeah, Mark too, Fields yeah, too, right? who's been around here for a little bit and – um, and Holland is the only receiver on there, but he's also been around for a year on Lake Davis. So I, I think that makes sense for sure. Having guys who uh, in a pinch can, can give you some, some snaps. All right. I want to turn the page in a second to week one, but there's a couple other things that I wanted to ask your opinion on. So Adrian Peterson is now going to be a member of the Detroit lions because why not? As, yeah. as soon as Adrian Peterson left Minnesota, you thought, how many more jerseys will that guy wear? Like five, six, seven? He's just going to keep playing, and people are going to keep he's giving never him gonna, jobs. He's never going to give up. I mean, he has this he's this mentality where he thinks he that if he gets in the right situation, he's going to play five more years and run for another 2,000-yard season. And, and it just – I mean, I, I respect that mentality. I think that's what's gotten him or what led him to the career he had. But – uh, I can't see it working out super well in Detroit. Uh, I know he's put up some numbers in Washington recently, um, but did, were they really getting a lot better and gaining a lot of expected points and added value when they were handing the ball off to Adrian Peterson? I don't think so. It's, he's not the most efficient guy for this current league at, at his current state. Um, so, it's yeah, it's interesting from the Lions, and it's a big name and, and things like that. But when they already have, I mean, DeAndre Swift and on Johnson and – then you've got Stafford with all these different weapons, the Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay and TJ Hawkinson. Like, is, is handing the ball off to Adrian Peterson going to be the best thing for that team? I'm not, I'm not sure it is. But we'll see how that works out. Uh, you know he's going to relish the opportunity to, assuming he sticks around in Detroit, play against the Vikings twice. At this point, you're probably looking at Bo Scarborough giving you just as much as Adrian yeah. Peterson. It's like really Adrian Peterson in name only. I have two things for you on that. First question is, is he helping or hurting his legacy by playing for the Detroit Lions? The case for helping would be that he might, might, if things go really his way, be able to pass Barry Sanders for fourth all time. It would have to be a very good season, but it's possible. Hurting is just the Emmett Smith factor of or Hakeem Olajuwon, or like this has happened a lot. Michael Jordan playing for uh, the Wizards. Like, is there something to players hurting their legacies by playing for a bunch of teams at the end of their career after they had a supreme career with one particular team? Yeah, I don't know that there is. I mean, I think if you drag it on too long and it becomes a little sad, then maybe there is. But for the most part, my opinion is that, I mean, in 10 years, people aren't going to look back and, 
remember that Adrian Peterson played for the Saints and Washington and the Lions and I don't know. Was there another Cardinals, team in there? Yep. The Cardinals. Yeah, there, yeah, there was. Uh, so I, I don't think it, it'll it'll tarnish his legacy or anything. I think there was a certain event that probably did that more than any uh, extended trip with other teams could. But you're still going to remember him as the, the guy who was a beast for the Vikings for a decade. So I, unless uh, he drags this out too long, I, I think it'll be fine. I, as for how effective he can actually be in Detroit, I think that's another question. But uh, he's going he's gonna to be motivated, we know that, and we'll see how much they actually utilize him on the field. I want to go through some running backs here of a similar era, and you just tell me, is Adrian Peterson better than that running back? So okay. ahead of him in third place is Frank Gore. Is Adrian Peterson better than Frank Gore? Well, that's an interesting comparison because that is the ultimate like longevity guy in Frank Gore who has just been around forever, and I don't think he's ever been – has he ever been a like top five running back in the league? I mean, I, maybe early in, is a couple of years in San Francisco, but he's the guy where you look at the all-time rushing leaders and you're like, Frank Gore is sixth or what? How is that possible? And it's just because he's played for 18 years. Um, so I, I think, yeah, in terms of career peak, there's no question. I mean, Peterson won an MVP. Um, and I think for the vast majority of their overlapping careers, Peterson's been better, but could Gore age better? Has he aged better than Peterson? Maybe. I don't know. They they feel like kind of similar players to me at this point. It is wild, though, that uh, since 2015, Frank Gore has only averaged more than four yards a carry one time, and people keep employing Frank Gore. I think part of it is, in terms of your personality, they're pretty opposite. Frank Gore, yeah. the ultimate unselfish team guy, and I used to do shows with a teammate of his, Alex Boone, who worshipped Frank Gore, like literally mm-hmm. worshipped Frank Gore, talked about how he loved pass blocking and anything for the team. And I'm not sure that Adrian Peterson's always been the same way. So there might be like that kind of edge, but in terms of peak, there's no question. And and plus Peterson's went on for a while in terms of. His yeah. Now, how about someone like Ladanian Tomlinson? How would you compare those two? That's tough. I mean, I, I'm pretty young, so I don't even remember. Like, I think the peak LT days were like right as I was becoming a, a big NFL fan or maybe slightly before. But, I mean, he was awesome. I mean, he was a touchdown machine, uh, could catch the ball out of the backfield. I, I of course, am, am biased towards Peterson because I grew up watching him every Sunday. But um, I think I would probably give that to LT slightly. I don't know. Where do, you, where do you fall on that one? I would definitely give it to Tomlinson because of his yeah. all-around ability. I mean, the fact that he could lead the league in touches, he had the longevity standpoint, but also 100 catches in 2003 – Uh, consistently 50, 60, 70 receptions. I think that's a big deal. And that's the big knock on Adrian Peterson and what's hard to kind of evaluate, like where does he stand in the history of the NFL is just if if you have such a one-dimensional player in an era where all the other running backs were trending toward being Marshall Falk, like the guys who could do everything, and LaDainian Tomlinson, then where does he stand in in terms of his value? And that's where I think it's it's interesting. How about Adrian Peterson against Marshawn Lynch? That's an interesting one because when you talk about, like, the LTs of the world and guys who are a little bit ahead of their time almost and Marshall Falk's in terms of – guys who could really catch the ball out of the backfield before that was even uh, a super necessary skill as a running back. And then you have guys like Marshawn Lynch and Adrian Peterson who are almost, uh, I don't know, the opposite behind the times. Like they uh, are really just these these downhill, hard-hitting running backs that would have thrived in the 70s and 80s and, and 
Uh, they look like they're cut out perfectly for that era, but they've managed to just through sheer physical dominance and also, I mean, both guys had had some great acceleration and explosiveness in their peaks, of course, but they've kind of managed to to be throwback guys in an era that's super pass heavy and like the Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell type guys and Matt Fortes. And uh, I, I think Peterson and Lynch era is an interesting comparison because Marshawn's got the Super Bowl um, and AP never did that. And we saw in his biggest game in 2009, he had a couple fumbles. Yep. Um, so I don't know. That would, that one, I think if you're taking a guy at their peak for one game, I think you're probably taking Peterson just because I think he had that extra gear. Uh, of breakaway speed in the open field that, that Marshawn didn't have. But I, you ask people in Seattle, they're probably going to say the other, say, say Marshawn. So I don't know. That, that one probably comes down to personal preference almost. The way that I might look at it is, let's say that you are the worst team and mm-hmm. your one hope to win a game because you don't have a great quarterback. Not that the Vikings would know much about that during Peterson's era. <laughs> and you like this is the guy who gives you a chance because he could break two or three 75-yard runs and you end up right in the game or potentially winning because he does that. If you were a good team and you were looking for somebody to be your workhorse and somebody to just pound the ever-loving hell out of the other team and then do play action off of it with your good quarterback and so forth, like a perfect fit for having Russell Wilson there and just being able to slam into the other team and draw attention, put eight men in the box, and then play action over them. But Peterson... The thing that it was always so frustrating with him is just the number of negative runs that would happen. Yeah. And Marshawn Lynch was not that. Like Marshawn Lynch rarely was caught in the backfield. And and so he could continue to drive an offense and not ruin drives like I think Peterson did at times. And then they didn't have the quarterback play to overcome it. Yeah, and I, I think if you want a guy who's, like like you said, a guy who's going to give you five, six yards, maybe break off a couple like 15, 20 yard runs and set up play action, things like that. I think Marshawn Lynch is your guy. Uh, Cause with AP, it was always the, the loss of two and then a one yard gain. And then he would do that six or seven times in a row. And the next thing you know, he's, he's busting one for 65. So um, I would, I would agree with, with your breakdown there. All right. So I want to talk about the uh, Packers and the Vikings here and the most important players in that game. And so I promise Mm -hmm. we'll get to it. But I've just got a bunch of things from today. It was a very exciting final Sunday before there's sports. And one of the things is Jadavian Clowney joining the Titans. I am very high on the Titans, and I think that they will beat the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium when they come here, even though Ryan Tannehill's last trip to U.S. Bank Stadium went very, very poorly when he was a member of the Miami Dolphins. But I think that this elevates, even for, I was already high on them, but I think it elevates the Tennessee Titans to being just a shade below what we talk about with Kansas City and with the Baltimore Ravens. And I think if you're the Vikings, you look at the way that Clowney has played the two times the Vikings have gone against them, what their biggest problem is in interior uh, interior offensive line, where the interior of the O-line has ruined games for them over the last couple of seasons. The last thing you wanted to see was Jadavian Clowney join a team that you're going to be playing. Yeah, my first thought when I saw that was, Okay, Jadavian Clowney's on the Titans. Titans are coming to here in week three. We got to get Dakota Dozier and Pat Elfline the heck out of here or get them ready or, or something or it's going to be ugly. I mean, with the way that, that he's been utilized by, by various teams throughout his career, moving inside in, in sub-packages and just his, his strength and size, I mean, I, I could see him tossing back Pat Elfline like uh, he did to that Michigan player in the Outback Bowl so many years <laughs> with, that, with that viral clip. <laughs> um 
But, yeah, it, that was an interesting thing to me where the, that Saints and, and Titans kind of fight over Clowney. And right, and you think, right, like, why wouldn't he go to the Saints? Because they just have that kind of um, – that aura of Drew Brees and, and seemingly being a Super Bowl contender or at least talked about a Super Bowl contender year in and year out. But then you think about it, hey, actually the, the Titans got farther last year than, than the Saints. The Titans were in the AFC Championship game. Uh, they brought Derrick Henry back. Ryan Tannehill had a great year last year. That defense um, – it's already, I think, ahead of where the Saints are defensively. Now you add Clowney to that, and that's a really, really good-looking front seven. Plus, you get the chance to play for Mike Rabel if you're Clowney, which I think had some appeal for sure just with his the amount of respect he has around the league defensively. Um, so I, that's an interesting one. I, I already I was high on the Titans too. I mean, I think they, they, they have some, some comparisons to the Vikings in some ways where you've got yep. like the Tannehill-Kirk Cousins comparisons are super easy to make. Um, they've got the big name backs. Obviously, Henry and Cook are different stylistically, but then they, they want to rely on their defense and their defense first head coach. So that's going to be a fascinating matchup in week three. I think I, I picked the schedule a super long time ago, and I think I had that being like a 14-13 slugfest <laughs> or something like that. I, I could see that one being being pretty physical and low scoring. So that's going to be going to be fun but I, I think Clowney if if the Titans didn't already have not an edge because they're the road team but they were right there and I think Clowney maybe puts them over the top in that one the over under maybe 70 runs between the two teams exactly in, in that yeah. football game now here's a question for you Yannick Ngakwe or Jadavion Clowney you look at the price that Clowney took it's not that different from what they're going to play, pay Yannick Ngakwe and it's a little different and they would have had to do more fiddling with the salary cap but let's suppose that that was the choice which player would you rather have if you're the Vikings Ngakwe or Clowney it's tough and I was thinking about that earlier when when Ngakwe signed and people were saying hey why did you get Clowney instead and not give up the second round pick and my answer to that was I think they made the right move with Ngakwe. I think he's two, he's two years younger to start with. Assuming you plan to re-sign him to a long-term deal, and I know that's going to get a little expensive, but I think he's going to be worth it because of what we've already seen from him in four years uh, as a guy who's still 25, and now what he could potentially add to his game with Andre Patterson. If he can become even just a capable run defender, that's not the most important thing, and that's not what you're asking him to do. You're asking him – to go get to the quarterback and get the ball out and make huge plays. And I think that with that cross-chop move he has and with his speed and his burst, he's going to be a guy who's going to make more game-changing plays than Clowney at this point in their careers, I think. So I think he's a great complement to Hunter. The Vikings got to figure out their the interior of their defensive line a little bit because if you're playing Hunter and Gakwe and then maybe on on – Later downs, you don't even have Shamar Stefan in there. The run defense could be ugly. But mm-hmm. I think going forward when you've got Michael Pierce in there and you hopefully somebody steps up uh, at three-tech, whether that's Armand Watts or whoever, I think this is going to be a really good defensive line. I, th- I think the Vikings – that's a long way of saying I think the Vikings made the right choice by by making the splash to get Ngakwe instead of trying to get Clowney. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, you've always counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely at your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. 
Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local restaurants also are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees for your first order when you download the DoorDash app at the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. I think it was a, a good choice in comparison to Clowney if they had, say, paid Clowney. Because we're both on the same page assuming that Ngakwe is going to be here a very long time. So mm-hmm. if you were saying sign this guy to a long-term contract versus sign the other guy, the fact that uh, also in the deal for Clowney, they can't franchise tag him. The Vikings can franchise yep. tag Ngakwe. So a small detail there that might be important. I think that Clowney is the far better player, but... I like the age factor of Ngakwe, the fact that he maybe hasn't peaked yet and how he might fit potentially here. But I think when you look at sacks, okay, Ngakwe has more sacks, but when you see the the whole picture of Clowney's pressure rates, Clowney versus the run, how many snaps Clowney takes when he's playing a full season. Last year he was injured and still played as much as Ngakwe. And the year before, 2018, he played almost 1,000 snaps. Like I think there's there's more value in that from Clowney. And the other part of it, too, is Ngakwe has a couple of flash plays a game where you're like, whoa, wow, what a move. Like you said, he gets – to the quarterback, he might force a fumble. I think that Clowney can win games on his own when he really has it going on or has a great matchup. He will just annihilate the other team. I'm thinking of maybe it was a game against San Francisco last year with Seattle before he yeah. kind of got banged up where he had 11 pressures. Like I, yeah. I think if it, and, and the movement, too, it is more valuable. You can move him inside, outside, linebacker if you want him to. So I think he's the better player, but maybe the better fit for the situation was Ngakwe. Yeah, I, I don't I don't hate that argument at all. I mean, I, I understand it definitely. I think Clowney is a more well-rounded defensive lineman, even even an end, obviously. But he, he's going to do uh, various different things, and he can stop the run. And like you said, he can kind of kind of take over a game. But I think Ngakwe, the thing about him is he the one thing is yeah he, he's going to make maybe make fewer splash plays, but he needs fewer plays to take over a game than Clowney does if he's going to be getting back there and getting the ball out. Uh, forcing fumbles, doing things like that. So as long as you kind of get a few of those per game from him, that makes such a huge difference in, in just getting the, the ball back to your offense. And I think that that forced fumble potentially has. And I think he's he's got the potential to uh, be a 13, 14 sack guy, even though we haven't seen that yet from him. I think his career high was 12 and a half, and then he's been under double digits. But he, he mentioned in that press conference, he, he's seen Daniil Hunter uh, the past couple of years has been double digits. He's trying to get back to that level. So – uh, I think that pairing of, of Hunter and Gakwe and, and that fit is going to work out very well for Minnesota. Growth potential with an organization that knows what the hell they're doing. And uh, yep. respect to Yannick Ngakwe for 
holding his tongue, it seemed, in that press conference because as much as I would have loved the quotes if he had been completely honest about what happened in Jacksonville, as uh, some other players have been, I thought that he probably took the right direction in just saying, yeah, hoping for a fresh start here, but Jacksonville, yikes. All right, uh, give me your three most important players Vikings Packers since we are here will my god mm-hmm. we have waited so long for week one three most important Minnesota Vikings players to beating the Green Bay Packers whom are they well there are a ton of options that I could pick from um first of all it is pretty crazy that one week from now we're recording this on a on a Sunday evening one week from now we're going to have a full slate of games including Vikings Packers in Minnesota on week one for the first time ever it doesn't even seem really real yet. No, um, but it doesn't. I think it'll I think it'll hit me midway through this week or something like that. So when I'm, when I'm watching Thursday night football with with Chiefs Texans, that'll hit me. But all right, three most important players. No, I'm not going to order this one. I'm just going to give you three names. I think one obvious one is Riley Reef, just because of what we saw in those two Packers games last year. And, and really, we know the number one thing with Kirk Cousins is if he's going to be under c- constant pressure, especially from that blind side. Um, Last year in the Chicago game in Chicago is Khalil Mack and and whoever else on that defensive line with the Packers that that Riley Reefs Darius Smith matchup is so important I think um, maybe even more so than the Vikings pass rush against Green Bay's tackles I think if if Riley Reef can have a solid game and kind of prevent Darius Smith from having like six or eight pressures or something like that I think that's going to go a long way in giving Kirk time to have those long developing plays and play action and let Adam Thielen and BC Johnson, Justin Jefferson get open down the field. Um, I think that's, that's a big one. So I'll go reef as one. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to do Kirk cousins because I just think that's obvious. Let's just, let's just say Kirk cousins is in kind of a a category of his own. He's probably the most Right. He's the I, most important player for the, the – I should have said You get that. what I'm saying. Yeah. That should have been a stipulation. And also what we know about Kirk, he'll be as good as everybody else is. Like if, you're, exactly. if the yeah. rest of the team is good, he'll be good. If they're not, he won't be. If he's throwing off his back foot doing the YOLO plays towards the back of the end zone too many times, the Vikings are going to be in trouble like we saw against Packers last week too. Um, so I'm not going to count him. But I will say Riley Reef for one. I'm going to say Mike Hughes as my second one. Now, I don't know exactly how the matchups are going to work with Devontae Adams, if it's going to be somebody moving around. I don't even know off the top of my head who's going to be playing left corner, right corner, where Adams is going to be lining up. But I'm going to just assume, for the sake of this exercise, that Mike Hughes is going to get some snaps against Devontae Adams. And I think that makes sense. He's probably their top guy right now. I mean, Holton Hill's had a great camp. But Mike Hughes is the the first-round pick from a couple years ago. He's over his injuries. This is kind of the year where he needs to step up. Uh, and play some really good football, and it starts in week one with the challenge against uh, one of the best receivers in the league. So I'll go with Mike Hughes as my second one. And number of options here for the third one, I I would say Daniil Hunter. I mean, kind of is he going to play is, is the question right now. If he does play, he's always a very important player for the Vikings for the same converse reason why I mentioned Riley Reef, just because – pass rush is so important in, in the modern NFL and getting Aaron Rodgers uncomfortable. And we've seen Daniel Hunter have some great games against the Packers. Um, and they don't have um, Brian Belaga anymore. They, they've got a new right tackle there, Rick Wagner. So if, if Daniel Hunter is healthy, which we're not going to find out until this injury report comes up, we're probably not going to find out if he's playing until 1145 Central Time or 1130, whenever, whenever the inactives come out. 
Um, so, or maybe maybe even after the inactives come out. But I'll, I'll go with Hunter because it's going to be just fascinating this week to watch whether or not he's able to to get out there for week one, whether he returns to practice at all. Will he play if he doesn't practice at all? Like, does he need to have a few practices? I mean, obviously he's Daniel Hunter. He doesn't need to work on anything in particular. But do you want to just throw a guy out there when he hasn't played in full pads since, I mean, I I don't even know when. The one practice he had in camp wasn't a, wasn't, wasn't a padded practice, so. Is this going to be um, the Eddie Yarbrough game is my question. Yeah, really. Are we going to have to see, are we going to see Eddie Yarbrough or, or Jalen Holmes or, yeah. or whoever? I guess it would be maybe a lot of a foddy, um, depending on if they still view him as a, if they ever viewed him as a potential three down defensive end. But yeah, there's other, there's other guys that stand out. Dalvin Cook, obviously. I mean, we know, you know, you're going to get from like the safeties and like Eric Hendricks and uh, I was tempted to go maybe Anthony Barr. Because I'm very curious to see what we see from him. I'm just giving you an honorable mention section here now. But <laughs> um, Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith, but yeah, I'll just go with, name every player. I'll name I'll no, name all but, the players. But you left out a couple that I'll make a quick case okay, for before yeah. we wrap up. I want to hear who who you who you think is important. But I'll go with Reef Hughes and. Hunter or the ghost of Denny Hunter as my three. So Hunter, I thought I was going to be clever picking Hunter. So you're ahead of me on that one. My other two were different, and I've got a little bit of an asterisk near one. One is Dantzler Gladney. That is a person. Dantzler Gladney's a person. And whoever plays there or plays more, you can guarantee they're going to try and take advantage of them. And even though they don't have great other receivers, they do have human beings who play other receiver positions who have been in the NFL before. So yeah. if, if they decide that they're going to attack the rookies, we saw this last year when Dallas went after Mike Hughes and he didn't have as much experience that it was a big night for the Dallas offense going after one guy over and over and over again. There's the potential for that with the rookies. So how they play matters a lot to me. Garrett Bradbury is also on my list for sure. I mean, him versus Kenny Clark, I think, is up there for top matchups of the entire game. You could put a W next to Kenny Clark. You know how we joked with Zimmer and tackle wins when he brought that up yeah. with Rashad Hill's win-loss record? Yeah. Well, Kenny Clark could get a W for the Week 16 game from last year. And Delvin Cook is obvious here, but when he was in the lineup in Week 2, they were much different than when he was not in the lineup in Week 16 last year. The Packers dare you to run over them. So if you can do it, you can beat them. And if you can't, it's going to be a lot harder. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of, like you said, there's a bunch of other. Everyone's important, you know, when it comes to these things. Jair Alexander versus Adam Thielen. There's a lot of great matchups. But uh, those were going to be my three. I think that that Dantzler-Gladney, how they mix those guys in, how much they play, who they match up against is going to be a big deal. Because if one corner is not pulling his weight, we saw it last year with Rhodes, it can unravel pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like both of those that you mentioned because the thing about Aaron Rodgers is, I mean, we know how talented he is, but he's also super smart. I mean, he's been in the league forever. He knows how to exploit weaknesses. So you can bet if the Vikings have a rookie cornerback playing a lot of snaps, which they seems like they is definitely going to happen, whether it's Dantzler or Gladney, he's going to go after that guy, and he's going to try to give them kind of a, a welcome to the NFL introduction game in week one. And, and if it's Dantzler – on the outside in three receiver sets, and maybe you've got Mike Hughes in the slot. Maybe my Mike Hughes pick isn't as valuable there, and it's going to be a lot of, of Dantzler and Holton Hill having to, to face Devontae Adams and I think Devin Funches and whoever else the, the Packers have out there. So fun, fun, Yeah, Funches the, opted out, actually. He uh, Oh, you're right, he did. He I saw don't, that they I didn't don't... draft any of the receivers and knew he would have responsibilities. He's like, I'm not doing it. 
Okay, so it's, so it's Alan Lazard and like Marquez Valdez Scantling, I think. Um, Very exciting. Regardless, yeah, it, the cornerback group as a whole stands out in a big way because we've been talking about it all off season. Uh, I'm I'm excited to watch those guys how they do in a, in a tough matchup, specifically whichever rookie is playing a lot, which I think is going to be Dantzler. And I like your Bradbury pick as well. I mean, the the entire interior offensive line is such a major question mark right now, but Bradbury's got to be the guy who kind of steps up and leads that group and takes a jump. And um, we saw some good moments from him last year, especially later in the season. Uh, it, would, it would be big to see him kind of take a leap and put up some consistent play throughout the year and not give up as many pressures from guys like Kenny Clark and, and Grady Jarrett. And obviously they don't play the Falcons this year, but those kind of guys who he struggled with last year, if he can just hold his own in those that's going to make life easier for 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 Dozier and Elfline, even though I'm not very confident in those guys. But we'll we'll see how that all plays out. I might write whoever made the schedule for this year for the Vikings, dear schedule maker, thank you for this, and not like last year the Falcons in Week One or a yeah. couple of years ago the Titans in Week One. Like, please. Give me a game that matters right off the bat, and they definitely did that. Uh, Will Raggetts, make sure you follow him on Twitter. The last name is R-A-G-A-T-Z, so uh, find him there. And uh, at Sports Illustrated covering the Vikings. Great stuff, man. I'm glad we could do this. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on, as always. Football, man. It's back. Football. It's back. Give me, give me a little – give me just a Football. Football. Hi, my name is Bobby Peters, and I've recently written a book titled The 2017 New England Patriots Pass Game Manual. If you've ever wondered what makes the New England Patriots offense, specifically their pass game, so successful over the years, this book is for you. The book breaks down in detail the schemes the Patriots use by concept. Each concept is broken down into its different variations, its statistical usage based on down and distance, and the important coaching points for how each route is run and how the quarterback reads the play. The book is available now on Amazon. Get your copy today. Did somebody say playoffs, NBA, and NHL are playing for the gold and our partners at Bet Online have you covered? Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into the fall. There's no shortage of ways to bet on hundreds of odds, futures, and props there. So take advantage of the return to sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.